do 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 first start in the morning welcome to the books in bed podcast episode five on this episode we will discuss the intricacies of happiness joy and racial hierarchy <laughs> how do you know exactly what we're going to talk about already because you don't know what I have up in planned in store. We talk about life. True. In America. True. And uh, it's impossible that our books would not fall along those lines and touch those subjects. I mean, impossible. It is because they're written by American authors. Yeah, but about like self and stuff. And things that go on. But about the American experience. If it was written in America about, like, uh, Wizard and Warlocks. Still. It would still have capitalism. You don't know what books I've been reading under the covers. There's room for some kind of sexual innuendo, but I'm, I'm, I'm missing it. <laughs> um, welcome back, sleepyheads. We did take a week off. Because we got our vaccine, our second dose. Um, and it wasn't because of Miss Rona. I don't like nicknames for it. Like I know I I have heard other people use nicknames, and I guess it's kind of cutesy to like downplay. Um. Oh, there's no downplaying. But I don't. She's like, fierce. I don't like cutesy nicknames for a virus that's killing people like just call it what by its name it the second dose wasn't like super bad like everything happened that we were expecting we got low fever chills headache um tired fatigue body aches rolling rolling chills i kind of liked it because i'm a weirdo but the worst part was that it messed with our sleep. So, like, the first night we, like, I think the fevers hit us in the middle of the night. And then we were up all night. And then we slept all the next day. And then, so then our sleep schedule has been off, which means our reading schedule has been off. Which, And then by the time we were going to do the podcast, we were too tired to do it. So we took a week off. Shame us. Don't shame us. No, I just thought of a guy named Seamus. <laughs> um, he also had those same symptoms. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Famous. It was brutal. We are just now starting to kind of... Have a regular schedule again. Yeah. Yeah. I feel good. I feel good today. It's been like a week. I woke up at 6. You're still a little off schedule. But it felt good to wake up at 6. Yeah, but you also went to bed late, too. Because you were pokemon To clarify, <laughs> I was organizing my Pokemon cards. I think you didn't have to clarify that. Because that makes it sound did. even nerdier. Uh, they're the vintage ones from when I was a kid. Yeah. Sounds nerdier. Well, that you were Less organizing nerdy. them. Sounds nerdier than, like, if you were playing them <laughs> or something. <laughs> <clears throat> Does it? Um, I don't know, audience. Which is nerdier? Playing a game <laughs> or just organizing your cards? I but treat you, them with respect because yeah. they're they're my financial freedom. True. <clears throat> clear that throat. Clear, clear my throat Let again. Let me clear my throat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that I should start today about my book. No, because I finished. My. Uh-uh. Yes, I'm starting. Yes. I want to go first. No, I'm going first. Let's flip a coin. You've gone first this whole time. <laughs> it's not true. It is true. Last time your mom went first. Well, she is the only one that went. Why did she get to decide? Um, I'm kidding. Of course you can go first. <laughs> I hmm. finished my book called Happier by Tal Ben-Shahar. And it's about... Learning the secrets to daily joy and lasting fulfillment. And what I wanted to talk about most today, about, well, the ending, you know, I finished it, so there's the ending. And 
And I kind of am not an ending person. Do you know, do you get what I'm saying? I'm just like, I love saturating all the information, but then the ending's kind of like, I feel like everyone's always scrambling. The authors are always scrambling to like wrap it up. And most of the time, there's not really a way to wrap it up. There's not like a uh, conclusion because it's like, how to achieve happiness? Well, you got to go try it, like basically. And it, and, even with television shows, like, I like to watch, like, a lot of competition shows. I don't care about the eliminations. Who wins? Yeah. Not, well, like, who wins, I care about a little bit more. But literally, I would stop a episode, like, say I was watching Top Chef. I would stop, like, they would do the judging and tasting and talking about whose plates they liked best and whose they liked worst. And I liked that part. But, like, when it came to who they were going to eliminate, like, I didn't care. Unless I really liked the person. Um, but I would just turn it off. Like, I just am not an endings person. I like beginnings. I like middles. The endings, eh. It's good to know that about yourself. Um, so I, te- I tend to skim through endings of things. I, especially these kind of self help books, I feel like the endings... There are always the last part they probably do to, and they're in a rush because they have a deadline or something. I don't know. Now wait a second. This is just me projecting. Now wait a second. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing that you're not a fan of endings. Yeah. Yet, when yeah. you detect that the ending is near, I... it doesn't seem like you pay it properly. Mm, that so, could... but is it because I have in the past and I. Kind of know you've been let down, yeah. You've well, been hurt before. It just feels like I'm reading all the same thing over again that I so, already read. Conclusions, I mean, it's part of the writing process, yeah, that your conclusion is a summation of everything mm-hmm. compiled together in a nice little drop, Bloop. Bloop. and so. I, I pictured it. The redundancy satchel. is inherent. Yeah. And I guess I'm just like, eh, I already know this. But like when I like say I'm writing poetry, I oh. I like to go full circle and bring it back from the where I started. But mm-hmm. I like there to be a twist. And I guess if there was a twist and I'm kind of skimming through the ending, I wouldn't know. Right, you missed the twist. I would miss the twist. Except I, I, st- I do read it. I just... For sure. You know. Uh, I'll skip a sentence or two here and there. Ah, how could you? You've never done that? You don't do that? Like, I'll read the beginning of a sentence and I can feel where it's going, so then I'll just go to the next sentence. I will, like, shame myself into rereading a page or a paragraph. Uh, I if read, I... I reread, too, if I feel if like... If I, if I, like, am, like... If so I what skimmed. am I gonna do for dinner? No, but then, wait, did Erica tell me that I, I like, I'll be like, oh my god, I, I, I'm like two pages deep, and I didn't read any of that last sentence. I need to reread this whole page. I'll, I'll do that too, and I'll really reread if I do feel myself skimming, and then I feel like an important thing happened, and I'm, I'm like, whoa, how did we get here? And then I'll reread that. Um, but anyway, at the end of this book. Um, he gives you these different, like, meditation. Each chapter is, like, a different kind of meditation. Mm. But, um, so the fourth meditation is letting our light shine. And this is um, what I wanted to discuss today. And it's such a big topic in my own life. It's the idea that we are, or that I am more afraid of succeeding than failing right that people are you're you're fearful that your light will be seen more than not being seen yeah so this is this is what he writes or he's quoting somebody else maureen marianne williamson our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. 
We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Now, I've heard, like, I feel like I've also seen that quoted by Nelson Mandela, but maybe that was a different version, or... Maybe. He had his own take. Uh-huh. Probably. I mean, it's... It's... Any, I think specifically creative people, um, it's... Are you more afraid to put your work out there because you're afraid it's going to fail? Or are you more afraid that it's actually going to do good and then you have to live up to whatever that is? You have to keep living up to that standard of... And if you're down at the bottom, then it doesn't matter what you do and and all the things. Because there's nobody that knows you, you, you know? It is interesting that... Being at the bottom, being afraid of people seeing. Well, I guess the thing is, if you're already comfortable not being seen, if that's all you know, then being seen is very vulnerable and could risk your position of anonymity. And just like I have always embraced failure, like I like I have a whole chapter in in the book that I have been writing for 10 years. Um, about failure and just how we learn from it and without it, there would be like no advancements in technology in the world and science. That failure is necessary. Failure is necessary and it's not something to be scared of. And yet I still have trouble putting things out there. So then I I had to like consider what is it that I am afraid of? And it's mm. more that I'm afraid of success because that opens me up to, yeah, being vulnerable and people being able to reach me that haven't, you know, in, in a positive or negative way. Because, like, sometimes there's imposter syndrome. I mean, I have that all the time, mm-hmm. especially with writing, because it's not, it's something I've always done, but it's nothing I've studied. Like, I, I went to school for art and I always thought like, oh, should I have gone for writing because I have always been drawn to writing and I'm not great at grammar and structure and punctuation, punctuation, can't even pronounce things. (laughs) How can I be a writer? So these are the things that go on in my head. And so I'm more afraid that like be like, actually having to call myself a writer like that's more scary than being like oh I write sometimes than saying oh I'm a writer like because I haven't written in months because what if you stop writing yeah but then that's like well if you're this then you're always this if you're a doctor you're always a doctor even if you're not practicing you're at home eating dinner like surgically yeah. You need to identify all the things on your... So I just thought, like, that is such a bit... And, like, even though I've already had this realization that I'm afraid of success, I still haven't worked through it yet. Like, I need to really understand what... Why that's scary. Well, I know, I know, a cert- I know with my book there's reasons why. Because my book is about my life and there's people in my life that I care about how they feel about it um something being written about them so there's that things will change yeah but things are like not don't even they're not even great now so it's like why is that but it will be it will be something that you can't predict yeah it'll be unknown people's response success is unpredictable what Mm. happens from there on out and I'm a control freak. And what's funny is we're, we're so scared of this uh, this impending success, obviously, because we are so great. And of course, we're going to be successful from this thing. And then when we do it, there might 
be no response at all. Like what's yeah, what's interesting is like why like putting something out there and it not being successful is just kind of like, oh, well you did it at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't scare me. It for it to flop. Like that doesn't scare me for it to flop. So it's like why not just do it? Yeah. So uh my call to action to all of you is what are you more afraid of success or failure and like really think about the deep rooted things that come with both of those to be scared of and that just remind yourself that the most successful people in the world are ones that were fearful but still did it like you can still do it even if you're fearful don't let fear stop right Fear is not the end of the conversation. It's actually the beginning of the conversation. It's, I'm scared, so what do I do about it? How do I address this? How do I overcome this? It's something we all deal with. Once you get to the fear, that's where the the work really begins. Yeah, because because everything was easy up until that point. (laughs) But it might not have felt like it was easy up to that point. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ooh, this Just is... all the layers you have to peel off. Peel off, Bryce, peel off. Um, but another thing about this book, Happier, that you'll appreciate mm. is that he equates happiness to currency. So happiness is the highest currency. Now I'm listening. <laughs> Um, I agree with and that. And to think about it in that way, because we think about money all the freaking time. But do we think about happiness all the freaking time? Well, we measure our value as people with money. And with money, how yeah. productive we are. So, what? How much money that we generate or that we have, the things that we have. And I think that happiness as a measure, as a currency, well, it's. It's so funny. People are trying to, you know, generally they're measuring their happiness by how much money they have instead of measuring how happy they are by how happy they are. (laughs) Right. Like, oh, we're idiots. And like he acknowledges that happiness is like a constant ebb and flow. Yeah, flex and that. um, But that we tend to not uh, value the little moments that we get that add up to a whole life of happiness. It's always kind of like um, despair and sadness is such a heavy feeling and happiness is a light feeling. Mm -hmm. So when, okay, he's not, this is just my interpretation. He has, he hasn't talked about the light and heaviness, but this is me thinking about like, um, when something's like when you move something heavy, we just built a huge gazebo for somebody and we had to move a lot of heavy pieces. When you move something heavy, you remember the feeling of the heaviness of it because your arms are sore after. Like you have all these reminders of the heaviness. But you, you feel accomplished have- when you move something heavy. Yeah, but you also don't remember what it fe- felt like to for that heaviness to be gone because you're having these reminders. So you don't have a reminder of the lightness until your soreness goes away, but then you're doing something else and you're sore again, you know? So it's like there is a peak when the happiness happens, you're like, oh, I did this thing. Right. And it's off my shoulders now. But but then the reminders of like, oh yeah, I I'm so tired. I'm it hurts to walk upstairs. You know. I'm equating that to what despair and sadness feels like. And it feels like you have reminders of it all the time and happiness you have less reminders because fuck, the world is in I'll get into that in a minute. Right? Exactly. (laughs) You're going to bring this happiness down. Also, I just want to, like, kind of touch back. 
you know, saying that using money as a measure of happiness is a fallacy isn't the same as saying money can't buy happiness. Obviously, there is a baseline of well-being that you are that you have access to because you have the financial ability right. to experience stability and services that well and that's like more of so money can buy comfort but does that mean you're happy it means you have a better opportunity to be happy but that doesn't mean you're gonna be happy well and that's true so then if you do if you are financially secure meaning you're not worried about your month-to-month payments and you can afford to experience luxuries then you you know then you're like well now i don't even have an excuse and i'm still not happy uh-huh. which i think is where a lot of people who are of great privilege still find themselves very depressed and then spiraling even further into depression well there is like a guilt feeling of like well I have I all these things. Yeah, I shouldn't be feeling this way, but I do. Yeah, because it's just a human feeling. Yeah, and that's mind. the failure of our society to provide health services, mental yeah. health services. But, Everyone goes through it, but there's just different impetus for where that struggle is. And just to um, to view happiness as a currency in in a just to look at it in a new light like how do i collect the penny of happiness how do i acquire this beast mm-hmm. and this um free what, roaming what pay attention to what <clears throat> value adds to do certain things like i like i like to cook Oh, my belly just made some weird noise. <laughs> you said, I love to cook, and, and your I'm stomach like, said, feed me. <laughs> um, like, okay, I like to cook, but if I'm busy, then cooking feels like a, doesn't, it's not adding up my, my value. But if I have time, uh, cooking is, an, is a penny. And if I get to cook while watching a YouTube video, it, it's a nickel. And if I get to cook and watch a YouTube video and drink some wine, <laughs> I already knew where it was going. Then it's a quarter, and I'm f- so full. The you know, cup, so, the cup so, runneth over. Yeah, so it's like find those things and like put them, layer them on top of each other, do them all at the same time because you'll get the most out of, out of that one activity that might feel like a chore. Change it to feel like a value add to your life. Right now, I feel like a quarter. You do? I'm naked in bed with you. You are. I'm not naked, but you're naked. I'm free as can be. All right. Well, you're about to drop your quarter, aren't you? The quarter is going to diminish very, very quickly. you have chosen a book, which you've already read. Uh, Partially. Partially. But I'm rereading the beginning of it just to be fresh. Fresher. I'm reading The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. If you're not familiar with The Old Jim Crow, it was a legal system of discrimination against black people after slavery, after the Emancipation Proclamation, after Reconstruction, Redemption. There's there's eras where there's progress and then it is through through violence and revolts of white people it has it has moved things back. Mm-hmm. Um which is so funny because now we we live in an era where it's there's there's this like projected decorum on protesting but literally Anytime there was progress in moving out of slavery, there was a war, okay? Hundreds of thousands of people died because they wanted to keep free labor. Mm -hmm. At least 
going back in history to the origins of America, it, it appears that everything that we have now in our system stems from this entitlement to exploit the lower class and this entitlement to free or cheap labor. I don't know why corporations or the planter elite were of that belief or that mindset that... I mean, you don't know why. Why they felt like I... There's a reason why I deserve slaves. But they had to believe that. Yeah. They had to be of the mindset of not only is this person not a person, they're just a cog in my machine. Yeah. But at the origination of the, the development of America, plantations... Slaves were both white and black. Yeah. And they were called bondsmen, which is just someone who is in bondage, servitude, with the potential that they could work their way out of this freedom, servitude, and become freed men. Now, people in position of power would always change the rules and kind of extend servitude. But there was no real delineation between a white or a black slave. The problem for the elite, the plantation owners, came when there was immigration and they wanted to appeal to people to come to this this growing enterprise. How do you attract people? How do you, when you see people like you in servitude? Yeah. If you're white coming to America and you see white slaves like, oh, shit, that, that, that alarms you yeah. also if you're black mm-hmm. <laughs> seeing people in slavery so to to create a system of moderate advantage and privilege to white people they made laws that were more aggressive or harmful to black people even allowed white people out of slavery or lessened the severity provided them the ability to police the black slaves. Mm -hmm. So poor white, white slaves were given the position of power over black slaves. And this is where the wedge is created. This is where racism is kind of born. And this is the 17 or the, it's the late 1600s, early 17 something. And it's only because they have a skin color that you can say other about. That's the only reason. Correct. And around this time, they also found that, or they also kind of concluded that white slaves were really kind of not to their benefit because they were noticing that white and black slaves were kind of collaborating and there's uh the ba- bacon's rebellion which was uh this effort to overthrow and kind of exterminate the planner elite which was super alarming to wealthy whites and and plantation owners so is she Telling you all this. Correct. This is this. The beginning doesn't start this way, Mm. but it leads into the history of how did we even get to Jim Crow? Okay. So. I'm sorry, I could move forward a lot faster, but. (laughs) No, it's good to give history, but I was just like wondering if this is just your known history or if this is part of the book. This is part of the book. This this leads forward in time. So you have now poor whites policing black slaves. Given this, you're better than. You're in a position of power over. And to distract from the class difference. Well, what? You know, the poverty and the massive difference in wealth. Being of these positions. 
so moving forward, it's it's found to be advantageous to to get slaves directly from Africa because they don't speak English, they're not familiar, um, they're less likely to resist. So that's that's where that pivot is made to keep social control and racial hierarchy and class hierarchy in place. I'm trying to think moving forward. Well, it's just interesting just that that dynamic of the poor white people were really the drivers into um, racism, which is what we see today. Yes. Well, it's 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 the um, it's the last. It's the barrier that keeps poor white people above. Above right. and not at the bottom. Yeah, which is fat. I was going to say fucked up and sad at the same time I said fad. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So so now I'm trying to think what was well, the next. That, well, then there's the, there's the end of slavery. And that I'm trying to remember what prompted the end of slavery. There was something that was eroding the the maintenance of this system so essentially as a result of these these uh slave revolts the the comfort of the upper class was very unsettled so they acknowledged that the system had to change Mm -hmm. that it had to be transformed because they were at risk exactly so that's when you had the you know all men are created equal except they actually didn't really perceive black people as human yeah. um, not and fully not fully and characterized I mean they had justified the extermination of Native Americans um, as being savages so there throughout history there's always a characterization of someone as less than mm-hmm. human. Mm-hmm. And that and that means you can justify anything. Right. So through the Civil War, slavery ends in the South. Well, it ends in America, per se. Except now you have there's people that don't even know that it's ended. But also you have uh, people walking off plantations. And in the South, this frightens people. It makes them very upset. So there's the implementation of black codes or laws that are just arbitrarily created to convict black people. And then once they're convicts, they can be sold uh, to work off this this debt they've incurred through being convicted, and then also there's Co- laws laws such as uh, giving a look, yeah, uh, not working. Yeah. So it's actually think about it, you just been been freed from slavery, working for free, mm-hmm. being imprisoned, uh, beaten, treated like an animal. You're free. Yeah. Now it's illegal for you to not work. Yeah. But there's still discrimination and just the perception that you are not human. Mm -hmm. But there was also laws so that you couldn't advance too. Like you, you had to, to be able to vote, you had to read, but then it was like, you couldn't. This is this is even still before the Voting Rights Act. Oh, okay. And um that stuff which was in the fifties. Not that long ago, guys. Not that long ago. Okay, so 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 then you have uh so this is the area era of reconstruction where People of color can now get an edge. They can now 
get educations and work and improve their quality of life and congregate and better themselves. This is not how this is this is antithetical of the the southern ideology. So you have the emergence of the Ku Klux Klan and all of these discriminatory laws uh which pushes the redemption era that this is the redemption era where they're redeeming the power back white people yes and asserting white supremacy and conservatism back to a way of how things should be this is where you get all of segregation and and the Jim Crow laws where it is just legal discrimination you can't be here you can't sit here you can't drink this water you can't use this restroom you can't eat at this restaurant this is where all the legal discrimination comes from in segregation during this time the the needs of um labor is is still a concern but it is somewhat being addressed through base, basically the prison system the the criminal justice system through the criminalizing of these basically just made up selectively applied to black people you have then the uh civil rights movement and this coming together of poor whites and poor blacks and this the the objective of ending low low wage labor uh bringing people out of poverty because poverty is really the means that which keeps all people down right you have the assassination of JFK. Mm-hmm. You have the assassination of MLK. You have uh the Klan and other groups bombing and terrorizing uh civil rights leaders. Mm-hmm. This is and that's a repeated cycle through all forms of progress is uh legal discrimination and this uproar of white violence mm-hmm. and destruction to discourage and and push people back in their place now through these cycles there has been collaborative efforts from from white people but generally there's what's known as a racial bribe and that is either laws or policies that are put into place that further this gap between whites and blacks mm-hmm. to assert that you are better than that if you want the these privileges then you need to allow the system to keep operating the way that it is mm. now at this point in the book um it's it's about to address the new jim crow because we got rid of jim crow right it's it's illegal to discriminate mm-hmm. uh, laws cannot happen? be discriminatory segregation is illegal so how do how how are these things transformed and brought into the new age yeah you can't you can't do it on a racial bias so you do it on a criminal bias mm-hmm. so what the book is really addressing is how mass incarceration is the new jim crow so the legal means of creating a system that asserts racial hierarchy and maintains this labor force because if you are the exception in the 13th amendment is if you are a criminal then it is slavery is legal yeah 
<laughs> so that's where we are. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts or? I mean. How does that resonate with you? I, I mean, I, I have watched, is it the 13th mm-hmm. documentary? So it, it feels very similar. Like you're just talking about the history right now. I guess the conversation is, why read this book? What do you find that it's important to have conversations about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's talk about that. Okay, for sure. These things have been transformed over time, the systems of social control, but they've been stifled. They've been stopped temporarily. Seeming, Seeming progress has been made only to be undone through new systems. Yeah. Or just like so deep embedded that it's hard to uh, the the ways in which we stop get, even thoughts about it. The know? way that we get out of this this cycle that keeps on happening is we eradicate white supremacy. We eradicate white supremacy. But how do you and do we that? come together and we work together. So, like, <clears throat> suggesting, like, white supremacy is the fallacy that, I know, but as a you, white person, you are inherently, but it's, it's a thought. Gifted. How do you get rid of people having thoughts? Like, that's, that's what's hard for me to wrap my head. I mean, like, I, also, sure, I sure. want that. Yeah, I want yeah, that, yeah. obviously. But, like, how, like, how do you eradicate something that's like, uh, ingrained in a person as a belief you can't eradicate beliefs and that's why it's such a powerful system yeah because this un- unintended um giving of privileges a long ways back transformed into the actual belief that we're here today as a result of white people being inherently whatever, more this, more that, when really it's, oh, this was a system created to produce this outcome. Yeah. I think, I guess, education and people reading more books like the new. Yeah, the way that you eradicate it is exposure and awareness and information. Do you think that's starting to happen more i'm definitely more informed than i was five years ago five years ago yeah three years ago yeah i was i think conversations are happening and uh, there are more conversations happening but i feel like the extremes are separating further and further away from each other would yeah, you? it's 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 a very difficult thing to digest because because it just the action that you take. I mean, if you look at the course of history, those who have really pushed towards bringing people together and uprooting the system that keeps them down has meant extermination, has meant assassination. Yeah. So the the fear of really addressing these things is that if you stand a chance to actually change something, there's either going to be there's there's going to be someone at your door, right, telling you that things need to stay the way they are, right. And then if you try to change it within the system, the system is so you have to go along. You're like, oh yeah, I want this, but I'll sacrifice this. The system, yeah, the system is created to, once you're inside of it, you're granted those privileges. Yeah. So then you're like, well, now there's a conflict of interest. Yeah. I hope, I think that uh, the kids growing up in this age. Do better. Yeah. Do better to not. That doesn't excuse us and older people too. Like, to be like, oh, the younger generation's going to figure it out. Like, that's fucked up. Like, no. It's our, it's those generations that are responsible that should treat, like, 
create the new systems and to for them to walk on but um i mean we're a generation of children of slave owners or slaves and if you're white and you weren't of a property owner mm-hmm. if you didn't own property then you're then you're just wanting to play the rules so play by the rules because you think you can be that property owner yeah that you can own property and that you can exploit and that you can be at the top and everyone else is looking at this as the illusion that it is knowing damn well this it's it's not built for you to climb mm-hmm. yeah there's definitely gonna um be a lot more conversations because you're reading this but like something that comes to mind which might be like for later on in the book I'm not sure but that like all the people who mostly white people but also people of color who just say like just put your head down and work hard and you'll be fine you know what I mean without taking in like the history and even if you do do those things and you're a person of color, you might not be fine. Even if you follow all the rules, you could still not be fine. Yeah, historically, there, uh, the rules have been created so that you can't follow the rules. Yeah. Even following the rules means you're breaking the rules because they're, it's, it's perspective-based and selectively imposed right like we have talked previously like something is trashy for one and classy for another in in the class system and if you have a certain modicum of wealth you laws are just basically fines the law doesn't really apply to you because you can just buy your way out of anything and that's considered the the natural normal order. It's like poor people are okay with that because they think they can get to that status. Yeah. Or that oh they worked really hard so it's okay that they can buy their way out of crime. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so interesting. Stockholm syndrome. I see interesting a lot, but um I need to change my that word. Uh, the idea going back to the prison system and mass incarceration which happened under a democratic president well it actually happened under Reagan well it started to and Clinton continued yeah the thing is um once once it started and it became and it's just more profitable than you could even imagine it's not going away yeah and so it doesn't matter drugs were big yeah she does get in later to how the way that the prison systems were brought to such high capacity was through the war on drugs Mm -hmm. Which specifically targeted black men, black youth, even though whites use drugs at the same rate or higher. Yeah, it's just a higher class of drugs. Not even. Well. Crack and cocaine. Right, they just changed the name. There was the, 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 yeah, I mean. Because they're essentially the same thing. The the media circus around crack and the crack epidemic was focused on poor black neighborhoods. Yeah. Which mind you, the war on drugs started at a time in, at a time in American society when drug use was on a decline and 
crack had not yet been introduced into the streets. And mind you, it was introduced into the streets. Yeah. So. All the layers are so devastating. Like. Yeah. You you are like, this can't, like when you're a kid and you think, and you learn about laws and police and jail. You think these things are here to protect you. Right. And that the people in jail deserve to be there because they've done something wrong. Something wrong, or yet you come. To I've find, seen yeah. growing up in New Jersey so many kids doing illegal shit, white kids mostly. Um, that and just like we had cops come to parties where we were underage drinking and smoking. And did nothing. Just kids being kids. Yeah. And if you grow up in that environment where you can get away with doing things that are illegal. Of course, you, the system's you think, on your side. You think when black people get arrested for doing it, well, they were doing something really wrong. Right. When in reality, they were probably doing it less harmfully than you were. Or not doing anything at all. Or not doing shit at all. Yeah. And just scared for their lives, so then they react. And I think the, like I said, there's so many layers to this, but, like, everything that's coming out about police right now and, like, what I see white people react and they're like, well, we're just seeing the top 20 bad things. We're not seeing all the times that cops do this to white people or that all the good times that cops stop black people and nothing bad happens. And it's like, well, we're only seeing this now because they have body cams now. like And iPhones. Ha- and iPhones and people. And like, it's a, yes, it's a hot button topic, but it fucking should be a hot button topic. Like, no one should, the police should not be killing anybody. Like, that's not their job. The thing is, that is undeniable, is policing originates from slave catching, from policing of slaves. Yeah. And so it has not evolved far enough away from that. Right. And it produces the same outcome. It actually, policing, modern day policing creates slavery, whereas the origination of policing was to just maintain it. Yeah. So they've actually made it a better system for capturing free labor, Mm -hmm. which was the ultimate outcome, which was the ultimate driving force to policing and the criminal justice system, which is just a means of getting free, free labor. Why do we think that if someone does something wrong, that they should be a slave? Yeah. Why do we believe that servitude is justice in society? Who would think that up? A a business owner would think that shit up. Yeah. A corporation would think that shit up. The people that don't pay taxes. What Personally, if you ask someone, what is justice for a crime... Serving time in a cell for a year or two? Well, how is that justice? Yeah. Rehabilitating you, them. Rehabilitation is justice. Mm-hmm. Helping someone be better, do better. Yeah. P- recidivism rates, people go back to prison nine times out of ten once they leave prison. And then they're discriminated against. Mm-hmm. You can't get a job. And or you're subjugated to the lowest forms of employment under the books or, you know, whatever. So we literally have the a system that is antithetical to what it is called. Justice. No, it doesn't deliver that. Yeah. And if you guys didn't know, like. Prisoners do a lot of stuff. They're not just 
when you say there's free labor, they're doing, they're doing stuff. They're making, I mean, like, I don't. There's, there's road crews, there's construction crews, there's. Firefighters. Firefighters. That have been fighting all these fires we have every mm-hmm. year. They are the ones that are on the front lines. They're heroes. And yet they have to go back home to a cell. To which when they get out. To save fucking millionaires. You're going to look at them as a criminal. Yeah. Serving time makes someone worse off, not better off. And so it is not justice. And working for free for a corporation or the state is not a benefit to your tax dollars because you pay to keep them in there. Yeah. And then someone makes a shit ton of money. A, selling the labor, and B, collecting the tax dollars to maintain them in that place. Mm -hmm. It is a terrible system. And it's perpetuated only because it's profitable. Not because it's effective. It's literally capturing um, people off the streets and sweeping them away. Some state. Is it California? Banned for profit bills now. So there is, I mean, it still has a long way to go, but there is people trying to change the system. And this is, this is what like drives back to my largest overarching problem with corporations and capitalism is if, Something horrendous, something destructive is profitable, then it is good business right. to do it. Like child labor and environmental. Child labor, sex Not trafficking. About environmental damages, that pollution. But for the quick buck, who, who cares? We're going to be gone when all this collapses. But the corporations will live on. Maybe. No, that's that's literally why they were made. Is so that the the entity could survive the creator's life and the mission carries on. And it has the protections of naturalized humans. And the only like the only way all of this can change, we've been talking about this a lot, is through community. And Yes. Um getting rid of the hierarchies, corporations and uh, billionaires and coming together with your community and building a world where you can work together. and Help your neighbors. Yeah. Support your community. Don't call the police. They make things worse. Although... Tenants called the police. They found a bone. <laughs> <laughs> well, they called the non-emergency line. Yeah. Um, because he found a, a bone in the backyard that, with a pair of muddy sweatpants. Which, yeah, that does sound alarming. But what's funny is, like, what are the police going to do? Exactly. Ultimately, Unless they were a like, missing we, persons that was like in the right, area, and, and they they're d- like, DNA. Oh, yeah. Tested. We solved this. 50 year. That's what people think police do is solve solve 50 year old <laughs> yeah, cold they, cases. Yeah, that's not the police. No, they're writing you tickets and, and shooting you for not doing anything. Anyway, do you have a call to action <laughs> from the, at least this part of the book that you read? Despair. What? Huh? Despair is. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, it's not. Is it too late? It's not too late. It's never too late. To I I educate. I actually do have. It's not too late to educate. A grain of hope. Hmm. I have a grain of hope because of books like this. Because this book exists. Mm-hmm. Movements that change things have existed. And and temporarily succeeded. Ultimately, the the thing that we have is numbers. Well, we also have technology, what, what, so it's hard to hide. Yeah, what they, hide what they have is money, yeah, wealth, power. 
they have leverage, but we have we have leverage in numbers. If we decide and not to if we decide not to work, if we decide not to uh, pay taxes. If we decide to not pay taxes, if we decide to join together, come together and collaborate, we can tear down these institutions. That's one thing is that anytime these institutions have been shook, they scramble. They scramble to make up the next version to transform. Yeah. And so we need to shake these institutions. Think about where you spend your money. Think about the ideas that you support. Think about the things you're teaching your kids, the conversations you're having with your neighbors. Engage and challenge the status quo because it's not good. We just need to stop lying to ourselves that if we just let this play out, it's going to be okay because it is played out. We're seeing what happens when things just play out. A thing that you will hear a lot too is if you don't like it, just leave. You know, said to, to, to liberals or radicals, to black people, if you don't like it, just leave. Or any immigrants. But that's admitting that you like it. And nobody is, like, everyone has issues. That's the thing. That's the thing is that the right and the left all have issues with the system. It's not like anybody feels like it's the amazing. It's that we have the ability to have the issue with the system. That is what makes America free or whatever you want to believe it is. It is that we are allowed to have issue with our government, whereas other countries you can't do that. And and I don't and I don't think we're so far apart in feeling the government has too much power in everybody's lives. Yet one side believes in the power of everybody and one side believes in the power of self. Yeah, the individual. Yeah. And that is the biggest difference. Well, not only the power of self, but self-responsibility, self-accountability. Yeah. And all you have to do is familiarize yourself with the history to know that this is a white problem. This is a problem created by white people that benefits white people. So it's understandable that white people are not aggressively dismantling white supremacy uh, because it affords them privileges, though it is toxic and cantankerous and it's it's destroying everything it really is and time and time again when we get to these breaking points where the economy crashes when white people are dying at alarming rates from drug overdose and suicide and um, are in extreme poverty the finger is pointed at immigrants or some other problem. Something I mean, else is the, number is the one reason. Gun violence is suicide. White, white male suicide. Right. But there's not a gun problem. Yeah. There's not a mental health crisis. Yeah. There's not a poverty problem. Yeah, it's really hard to go up from here, but no, wait, actually, it should be quite easy. Um, anything is an improvement from here. Let's do it. We have to build systems that... We have to break systems to build. We got to break systems, and then we got to build systems that 
are actually for the cultivation and betterment for everyone. Yeah. Well, there's hope. There's boogers. They just fixed. Fixed my boogers. Um, and I think it is important to have these conversations. Uh, probably like 10 years ago, we should have been having this conversation, but it's never too late to have it. And 300 years ago, we should have been having this conversation. That's true. And we love you guys and hope. We hope the best for you. That you can. And we're here for you. Focus on your community and helping each other out and not. Being a cog in the system. If you can avoid it. If you can avoid it. Well, now I feel like we need a nap. Even now we, got, we just woke up. Now we got to go dismantle the system. <laughs> good night. I mean, good night. <laughs> good day. All you sleepy heads. Uh, if you if you were asleep, now you're awake. <laughs> Ooh. Metaphorically. Metaphorically speaking, we all wear masks. <laughs> all right. Thanks for tuning in. And um, I'll have a new book next week. And Jake will still... Be raining on the uh, American Dream Parade. <laughs> All right. Bye. Much, much love. Thanks for listening to the Books in Bed podcast. If you want to leave a comment of which books we should read, or if you're able to, leave us a review. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's Books in Bed Podcast, or follow our business channel, which is called The Portland Pickers.